I am so grateful to be here this morning. I'm so grateful that I woke up in the beautiful state of Hawaii, surrounded by beautiful weather. My body feels healthy. I'm not in pain. I woke up with running water, a restroom that I could just use right down the way from me. I have a refrigerator right there that has all the amenities that I need. So much to be grateful for. You know, I've come to find that life is a lot like the kahukus. That's right, the kahukus. When you drive out there, it looks so beautiful. And you can even see the ocean from certain perspectives, certain areas that you'll be at there. But off the road, there's a training area there in the kahukus that we infantry will go and train on on a regular basis. And it is everything but wonderful. Oh my goodness, it is so tough carrying around this weighted pack up hills, down hills, into gulches, out of gulches. Still in the distance, you can see the resort area and the beauty that people are enjoying while you're just sweating almost to death and dehydrated. And that load is so heavy, so heavy that you want to do anything to lighten it on your shoulders. I have to confess there was a time that I was so fatigued, very little sleep, could not hydrate properly. The weight of my ruck was keeping me down. And I decided to bury some of my boots that I was carrying in there. Anything to lighten this load. Thomas shares a vision of this church. And part of the vision that he shared is that we're to operate like a hospital. That there's times that we're scattered and we're there, but then we come together here. And I want to reassure you that we're a church that all of Christ's church should be that type that's here to help their brothers and sisters, to help take the load off of your shoulders and not put more on it. And the message that I'm sharing today, it is my prayer that you'll walk away understanding how the burden is actually lighter on you. And you walk away from here encouraged and revived, not beat up and not feeling less than, but accepting who you are and continue to live the life that he's created for us. There's many lessons that I've learned from Jesus' teachings and his life. And one that continuously comes back to me is that there's nothing quite so rewarding, quite so desired, and quite so influential as a life well lived. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Jesus shares with us his knowledge, understanding, and wisdom to living this life, this well-lived life. As I stand before you today, I share a topic, as all the topics that I've shared up here that I have personal, in-depth experience with. It may not exactly relate to you in your life. You may look at me and think, that does not relate to me. As they say, if the shoe fits, so be it. If not, perhaps you'll come in contact with someone that it does relate to. And with that being said, it led me to the title of my message, which unfortunately, my slide got deleted and I don't even know it's operator error. Okay, I'm very bad with computers, operator error. But the title of my message is, Who 
made you judge? Who made you judge? This was something that I've heard personally, and this lesson is a lesson learned from the Sermon on the Mount to help us to secure and maintain a life well lived. So please, if you would, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 1. We will go on through verse 5. If you don't have your Bibles, the message is up here. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word, and I ask your Holy Spirit to share this message to my brothers and sisters. You know, who here wants to be happy? Show of hands, who wants to be happy? Hey, I want to be happy. I'm not going to lie, I want to be happy. But I know life deals us some things that we're not always going to be happy. And there's certain times that the primary response to our current situation in life is not happiness. When we get bad news, bad news about our own self or a loved one, you're not going to be happy. Okay? When when the challenges of life just feel to weigh you down and, and there's difficult things within the external... We're not going to be happy. Jesus showed anger. He was not happy when he cleared the temple. He showed sadness because it was the proper response when he wept. But make no mistake, I believe that Jesus is concerned about our happiness and desires a happy life for us. Now, I do not want to steal Pastor Thomas's thunder leading up to next week's message. However, Starting in the Sermon of the Mount, when you look at the Beatitudes and you see blessed, blessed are, blessed are, blessed, blessed. Do you know that that word is interpreted happy? Happy are those. And the word for happy, that, that the Greek word is makarino. Do you remember that dance in 1993 at the, at the wedding? Ah, makarino. No, that, that wasn't it. Mac- Macarena, huh? That, that was it. Okay. All right, but it still makes you feel good. I even started doing a little boogieing at 4.30 this morning when I came across that. But he does. He cares about our happiness. But however, he's going to lay out the ways in which you to have this happy life. It's not happiness at any cost. And it's not happiness in the way that we think or the world's going to tell us to attain that happiness. Through his understanding and wisdom and knowledge, he's going to lay it out right here how to have this life with, a papon, with, with just so much happiness in it that the world can never provide you a long-term joy and happiness. So as we look at this, at this part about judging, and we look, judge not that you be not judged. I have to tell you that here it does not say think not. 
it says, judge not. He is not saying that as his followers, you are not to think, that you are not to assess, that you are not to look at things that are unsafe or determine things that are not good and that are good for you and your loved ones. What he's saying is judge. The word is crino, and that is to separate, properly to distinguish and to decide. And when you couple that within the second verse, the word judgment, that is to come down to a verdict. I want to set an example for you, and I'm going to use a notional example. We use that term in the army, a notional, that it's pretend, okay? So there's no real characters involved here. So there's a man that finished praying and he's done spending time in the Bible and he's feeling connected with God and he has an appointment that he needs to go to. And on his drive, he comes up to another person that's in the car. Another guy he sees over there here in Hawaii and he sees him on his cell phone talking. This man that just got done spending time with the Lord and thinks, you know, he's on his cell phone and there's a law in Hawaii that says that's against the law because it's dangerous, okay? So that's a danger to him and others around him. I might need to keep an eye on that car, okay, so that I'm safe and perhaps, you know, I can warn others, whatever it is. That is thinking about that person's actions. There was no sin in there, and perhaps he's going to say, I'm going to pray for that guy, that he'll kind of get the wake up that this is dangerous. However, same scenario, he looks at this guy on his cell phone and says, What is this guy doing on his cell phone? Oh, he thinks he's above the law. He thinks he's special. He's selfish. And look at that. He's got an Ohana Christian Church bumper sticker on his plate. There we go. Look at that. He doesn't follow these, you know, the laws of of the nation, of the state. I bet you he doesn't even follow the laws in the Bible. He's a hypocrite. He's probably not even a real Christian. Do you see how our thinking can lead to judgment with a verdict? When we become the judge and take it upon ourselves to say, your actions show me that you're not really a Christian, that is equal to saying that you are damned, that you are going to be headed to hell because you're not a Christian, because the Bible teaches us it's through him in Jesus and belief and trust in him that we earn salvation. Folks, that's a very heavy burden to take on. And it is not yours to take on. When I mentioned judge, I mentioned the term separate. And if you'll look with me, if you have your Bibles, I don't have the Bible verse up here. We could just follow along. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he, and he will separate them one from another. There's that word separate. As a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats and he will set the sheep on his right hand but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the fountain of the from the foundation of the world. Remember Forrest Gump, famous going on the bus scene, seats taken. Seats taken. 
When it comes to being the judge, the job's taken. It's been appointed. It's been appointed by a perfect judge. We're not capable of being the judge. He is the perfect judge. Now, when we look further on, it talks about, we all believe, I'm, I'm just going to say, I, I hope that we all believe here that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the, the, the God-made man here. And he says, judge not that you be not judged. That in itself should be enough for us. It should be. But because he understands the human condition so much, he's the greatest psychologist of all time. And great psychologists of this day are still learning from him and the lessons that he taught. So, he's so great that you see in the second verse, for with what judgment? See, for means, I'm telling you why. I'm telling you because. Because when you do this, you see, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. So, another example. Notional. Husband and wife are out on an interaction. And the wife happens to say some things to their children, their adult children, jokingly about her husband. Well, her and her husband have had conversations in the past about that, how he receives that as disrespectful and has asked her not to do that. So after the children leave, the husband speaks with the wife and says, Dear wife of mine, I love you. But when, when you say those things, I perceive that as disrespectful for me, to me. And I've asked you nicely, please don't do that. Okay, it hurts me. And maybe that's not your intent, but I'm just expressing what I'm thinking here. No problem, right? No judgment, thinking, trying to communicate. But now this notional character, he tends to step over the line. Sweet wife of mine, we've had this conversation on numerous occasions, and I've told you that it's disrespectful. And clearly in the Bible, it says that a godly wife is respectful. You're not being respectful, therefore you're not a godly wife. And I guess that means if you're not a godly wife, you probably aren't even really a Christian. Bad, bad notional husband. Because you want to know how it comes back that you're judged again? From a husband who knows, your wife knows you pretty well. Oh, really? Really, notional husband? Is that so? I think the Bible says that you're to love your wife like Christ loved the church. And I think the Bible defines love in part as kindness. And what you just said to me was not very kind. Therefore, I guess you're not a godly husband. Perhaps you don't. Believe in Jesus. Perhaps you're not really saved. Do you see how my judgment, the measure that I used, came back to me? Notional in this with your spouse. It happens with your brothers and sisters here. Okay? If you're not careful and you're on the judge police and you're always, it will come back to you. Now let's say you do not express this out loud to those that you're in relationship with, and you think it. Do not make the mistake that that measure of judgment will not come back to you, and this is how it's going to happen. You are going to recognize that you are judging yourself by that standard. 
when you're spending time with your father and you're talking to him, he's going to gently, not forcefully say, hey, in your thoughts, you're seeking all the negative of your wife and setting judgment on her. What about the negative you need to deal with in your life? And based on the negatives, Brian, that you know you have, how about you focus on those instead of focusing outside? And that leads us to the next part. Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. That is outrageous. That's outrageous talk. That's ridiculous talk. That's silly talk. And that's why he said it. Because to think that I have a timber, a plank, coming out of my eye, and I don't realize it, is nonsense. Okay? Especially to go and just focus on the speck in somebody else's eye. However, he said it because it's so metaphorically accurate. See, specks in other people's eyes are distractions of our own life. See, in part, I believe that we judge because it makes us feel better. It makes us feel better about us. It makes us feel better about our shortcomings. So instead of dealing with the plank that's in my life, I want to focus on the speck that's in yours to make me feel better. Now, there's a reason why Jesus uses this, because he was familiar with it. He was a carpenter. He dealt with wood. He dealt with work, you know, with sawdust, these specks, okay? Now, specks, though they're small, they can cause quite devastation, especially to the eye. You see, the eye is a sensitive area. So when people have specks in their eye, we have to be careful on how we address this sensitive area in their life. He goes on to say, or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Again, outrageous. He continues with that, that of course that makes no sense. And then he goes on and says, hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You see, hypocrite here, we often think of hypocrite as, you know, do as I say, not as I do. But in this context, it can also mean an actor. You're a poser. I'm pretending in my life that everything's good. Outwardly, I'm showing that I'm good, that I'm this kind of person. But I have a plank that's in my life that I need to deal with. And our Heavenly Father saying, deal with that issue in your life. Deal with that issue in your life that's causing you such discomfort in recognizing an issues in other people's lives. I'm in the business of changing you, Brian. Okay? Don't ask me to change your wife. Don't ask me to change your boss. Don't ask me to change that brother and sister here. Ask how I can change you to receive them better, that I can help them greater. Now, this is what I learned from Jesus in this. He, anticip- he expects us to remove the speck from your brother's eye. There is, an, there is an expectation that's said with that. However, he lays out some key things. And I want to address that. The first one. 
We need to prioritize. You will see so many mistakes that were made by people throughout the Bible, and if you take a look and analyze without judging other people's lives, you'll see where their priorities have gotten scrambled, and it's caused chaos in their life. Last week, Matt spoke about Solomon. God asked Solomon, what is it that you want? I'll give you whatever you want. I want wisdom. And he gave him knowledge and understanding and wisdom greater than anybody. And I would have thought, man, this guy, he, he knew what nobody else knew. He, he, I mean, heck, he, he wrote Proverbs. Look at this. this he was the king. He, he had all the material stuff. Talk about, he wasn't the 1%. He was the one. He was the wealthiest. He had all this stuff. And he knew God, and God blessed him with all of this. And he failed miserably. He failed miserably. He married wives he had no business marrying. He set up idols for his wife. Yet he had all this knowledge, all this wisdom, and all this understanding. So what we need to know, and he, because he lost focus of the priorities. See, we gotta, we got to remember that it's not the external that are going to correct the internal that's going to lead to the eternal. We need to keep a perspective of our focus on the in eternal as it corrects our internal and shapes us to how he wants to be, and the result will be external. Here he says, first, remove the speck or remove the plank from your own eye. Prioritize. Be in focus with your father. Let him know. Now, how do I identify planks in my own eyes? Some of us have such a poor vision of ourselves in the mirror, yours truly included, that I see nothing but good in my life. I'm doing good. I'm this, I'm that, especially in comparison to this or that. Okay, we don't always have the proper reflection in the mirror. All right? So that's why we need to think about things like control. You need to think about things like significance and comfort. When you get angry, the next time you get angry at somebody or angry about a situation, ponder on that a little bit and see if it doesn't come from a lack of control or a lack of your comfort being taken away or this person said something to you that made you feel insignificant. Because those things will lead to sin in your life and my life, and they'll lead to idols in your life. And that idol may be yourself. So first, eternal for your internal. The next is position. Matt also said last week, hey, when you become saved and you learn about Jesus and and you take him in your life, it's because God drew you to that. He put you in position for that. And it's the same thing here. 1986 was the year. I woke up, took a shower. I'm getting ready to go to school. I think I was, I think I had the mullet going, you know, a little bit of spritz. I was looking pretty good, you know, going to school. And I walked out the bathroom door, bam, my eye, something happened to my eye and it started to swell up. It started to water. It looked like I got punched in the face. Ma, ma, I, I can't fix it. You know, I run, boom. All right, I'm going to take you to the doctors. So we went to the doctors, and the doctor came in. He said, what's going on, young man? 
I said, I just walked out of the room. Bam, something. I felt like something hit me. My eyes shut up. He's like, okay, let me assess the situation. Okay, that's what you said to him. Boom. Hey, this is what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to take this swab, and I'm going to go into your eye, and I'm going to swipe it across. I think you have a piece of pollen or something in your eye. And just with this, boom, the eye was relieved. The tears were gone. The swelling was going. There was your problem, young man. Have a good day. See, what we learn about position here and removing a speck from a person's eye is that, you know what? I trusted that doctor. I trusted him because who he was in position with me. And guess what? I came there willingly. And I trust him. And I wasn't fighting it. And help me with this. See, based on the position, it enabled him, based on his experience, to provide the aid that I needed. So though we might see a speck in a brother's eye, and know, or a sister's eye, and know this is beating them up, you may not be in the position. You may not have the right timing or tools to remove that speck from their eye. And instead, you're going to cause more damage. Here, come here, I know how to fix that. No. No. See, we serve, we serve a gentle God. And guess what? I, you, nobody needs to take control in removing the speck because he's the one who removes the speck. He's the one that's going to put you in position. And do you know in Revelation, it says that God will wipe away every tear from our eye. And when he wipes away every tear from our eye, with that goes all the causes of those tears. And so it's him bringing the kingdom down here and the spirit working through you that's going to enable you to remove, or shall I say him, to remove the speck from your eye. See, all these things are God doing the work. Let go of the weight that's bowing, that, that's here. Like, I have, no, there must be something I need to do. I can't, no, there's something I have to do. Sure, talk with your father. Be in relationship with your father and let him guide you. Okay. Because guess what? If you try to do all these things on your own, you're going to fail. Paul, St. Paul, he had everything put into him at one time, all this revelation. He had all this, why is it that I do what I shouldn't do and don't do what I should do? See, because if it's me doing it or it's you doing it, who gets the glory? I get the glory or you get the glory and I don't deserve the glory. And sorry, I'm gently saying it. You don't get the glory. You don't deserve the glory. Our father deserves the glory. So that's why I look forward when he puts me into positions that I can't do this on my own because I know he's going to do something that I can't even imagine. Something about this positioning and something that reiterates why we should not be judged. By a show of hands, who can tell me, who here can tell me my daughter's three names? Okay. Who here can tell me my daughter's name that went to be with the Lord that we lost? Okay. Who can tell me why my parents got divorced and I, and I was raised without a father and how I handled that? Who can tell me why I got in a fight at the age of five and how that shaped me? Who can tell me how I was abused by a babysitter at a very young age? I see no hands raised. 
And that's not a guilt trip, but it's to show you that you, 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 nobody here really knows me. And I don't really know you. And no matter what you tell me, guess what? I will never know you to the extent that he knows you. He, when you're sitting there saying, I don't know why I do this, he does. I want to do good, but I don't. Why? He knows. And that's why you could never be the judge, or should you ever be the judge, because you don't have all the information. You don't have all the evidence. And though these things are reasons and why Brian Hughes may operate in a certain fashion, they're not excusable for my improper actions. Instead, it's those reasons that become planks that he's trying to deal with in my life, and I'm sure in your life. The final thing after position would be provide. As I said, when we, when we provide this yield to God, yield to God, ask his help. He doesn't expect you He doesn't put it on your shoulders to say, hey, you need to know everything and you need to know how to do this and you need to answer all the questions. And you know what? Sometimes we just provide the greatest help when we listen, when we are slow to speak and quick to listen. And we listen to our brothers and sisters and we try to have empathy with them. Because as I said, though, I may have lost a young one the pain that I experienced and the way that I dealt with it and felt with it may not be the same as this person. So I can't entirely empathize. But being present and being someone that they can trust and someone that they say, hey, this person loves me and they're really looking out for my best interest even though they don't always approve of my actions. They have never tied my actions to who I am. We, we like to do that. Oh, Susie over here told me a lie. She's a liar. Oh, well, guess what? I'm probably surrounded at, including, by a bunch of liars. I've told a lie. I'm so, yeah, my, a time or two. Just go down the whole gamut. Isn't it great that, yes, perhaps we were once sinners, but we're no longer, we're washed in that. See, so he's able to say, hey, those are your actions that are showing something in your life you need to do with And I don't want you to do those, not as a power trip, and not because I'm the authority over you, but we go back because I want you to have a happy life. And don't fall for the trap that my adversary's selling you, that if you go in reverse and you focus on the external, that that's going to provide you this happiness that I'm offering internally. It's not going to happen. If we stay in his thing and trust in his order and his priority, you will have a life like you never imagined. So with that being said, I want to close with the story that I received this morning of all things. I could not have, I did not time this. I, I mean, I did not say, hey, bro, can you send me this story? I received the message from a guy that I grew up with. This guy knew me when I was Brian the bad boy. I was like, these people cannot believe that I'm standing in front of a church speaking to you. Okay, like, trust me, all right? So that will tell you about judgment, 
all right? Never, never pre-qualify someone who the Lord is calling and saying that, hey, they're lost, man. This dude's too bad. He's too into this and that. Hey, you don't know. Again, you don't know. So I received this story, and I thought that it related very well to the power of a life well lived. And I want to reiterate, and I can't say it again, a life well lived is about him and what he does and who you are in him. And it's not based on you and your willpower and your intellect. And, all, and I can't fully explain it, okay? My brain is not that sharp. But I'm telling you, it's in here, and I accept it as true. So I received this, and it said, Hey, what's up, brother? Hope all is well. I just wanted to tell, about you, uh, tell you what I've been going through the last couple of years. Not too many people know. Just Pat and Jeff. But I almost died from drinking too much, and I needed a liver transplant. I was scared not of dying, but not being able to watch my daughters grow up and be there for them. But watching you and Julia go through everything you go through, I prayed to our Lord and asked him for the strength to get better, not just for me, but for my family. And he heard my prayers. I'm happy to say on June 4th, that was the second year of my sobriety. And on the 6th, my transplant coordinator called and told me that after my latest test results, I'm off the transplant list. My, uh, my liver, through the grace of God, has healed enough where I just need some meds and a healthy lifestyle, and I may never have to get one. I just wanted you and your amazing wife to know you were my inspiration to fight and not give up. And thank you for helping me realize that through the Lord... All things are possible. I pray all the time for Julia to beat the cancer. And again, thanks for being such inspiring friends. God bless. Take care. Prayers always. Hopefully see you soon. You would, this guy never talked about the Lord. He talked about partying, finding the next lady, finding his significance through these things. And the example that God covers your example with his grace, that even when you mess it up, the perception of others seeing him working through your life is, wow, how can I have that kind of life? And as brothers and sisters, I encourage you to, to remember and to know people are watching you. They're watching you at work. They're watching you in the grocery store. They're watching you when you don't even know it. And the impact that your life may lead to through him may have generational impact. Let us pray.